There's a deep sense of unease in our rapidly changing world. We all know something has been lost, but we don't know why or where it all leads. Pop culture tells us it's all about me and that we should worship our own creations rather than the creator. In politics, the end justifies the means. In relationships, love means self-satisfaction. In life, status and appearance are what count. In the church, confusion replaces clarity and conviction. Our faulty and distorted view of God is at the root of all our problems. But what if we viewed God differently? What if we saw Him the way He longed for us to see Him? We can worship a God who is holy, wise, and just, one whose faithfulness and goodness are matched by His power and sovereignty over all things. This is a God who can deliver us from evil and transform lives. This is a God worth worshiping. The way back, the path of hope starts with knowing God for who He really is. We need to know the real God. I am uh, super excited about that Operation Christmas Child. Every year we send out several hundred boxes. Take a box, take five, take ten, take whatever that you can do and, uh, and, uh, and use them for the glory of God. It's super exciting to see our church get involved in a tangible way. Then we have our birthday gift to Jesus coming up. You'll be hearing a lot about the birthday gift to Jesus. That's just down the road here. In the next week or two, you'll be seeing our list that we're going to support and we'll be supporting missionaries all over the world. And at Christmas, what a great and powerful time to do that. And then uh, if you look in your bulletin, you also see there's a trip being planned to Haiti. So if you would like to go to Haiti, stay tuned. It's coming up. We're planning to go in March. So uh, Tracy Malhorn, who attends her, her aunt is a missionary in Haiti. And I'm like, you come to church here and your aunt's a missionary and we haven't gone to see her yet? So we are going to be going down there. So uh uh, stay tuned. Uh, it's exciting. Aren't you thankful for a church that has a bigger vision than us, huh? Let's give our God a hand. What a great God, you know? What a great God we serve. <clears throat> you know, if the church is only about what we're doing here in Finleyville, it's a small vision. And so our vision is that we can impact the world. One day we're going to be planting other churches. I'm excited what God's going to be doing here. But it starts here with our heart. And as we say, okay, God, I'm going to let go of these things, and we're going to impact the world, we, get, we don't have to wait for something to come. This is something that we can do now, and we see lives change. So we're, we're excited about that. Our series is entitled The Real God. And, uh, you know, we, we, we picked this series because we want to just stop and discover who does God say that he is? Who really is him? Who, who is he really? Because as, as we go through life, it's easy for us to, to try and make God be something we want him to be. It's easy for us to have a misconception because we had a bad experience as a child. Or you had a bad church experience. Bad church experiences are everywhere. Everybody has them. And so you had a bad church experience, and you now discredit God because of a bad experience somewhere in your life. So we start out and said, number one, we must seek God. We want to seek him and him only. And as we start to draw the target to seek him and to know him, now we are starting to understand that it's him we're seeking and not what we want him to be. Last week, we talked about the foundation of all of his character is good. God is good. And, uh, and we said it's like the, like the bottom piece on Jenga, you know? If, uh, if you don't have goodness established, you take that out, man. Everything else all falls because goodness is the relational aspect of God. 
goodness is how that you can pull all of his character together and you see how it drives towards the person and towards the heart whom God is caring for. And today we're going to talk about a subject that I think is probably the hardest of, of all the character of God for me is, is his holiness. And so if you're taking notes on the back of your bolt in there, the very first thing is that God is holy. As we look through the scripture, we just see it over and over and over that God is holy. Uh, it, it's, it is more than, uh, it's 431 times in the Old Testament that we see that God is holy. The word holy is used 431 times, and it's used a number of times on top of that with holiness and ideas like that. So 431 times we see that God is holy. If you go into the New Testament, you'll see that the word holy is used about 180 times referring to God. God is holy. So if, if we see that the, this word holy is showing up in the Bible more than 700 times, don't you think we should pay attention to it? Don't we think we should say, all right, God, what does this mean that you're holy? And today I'm hoping to clarify uh, a few misconceptions that you may have about holy, what it means for God to be holy, and what it means for you to be holy. So when we understand, remember we said that the, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. So if you have this concept, when you hear the word holy, if you close your eyes and you hear the word holy and you're shuddering in fear like, uh, like, like you can't be good enough, that is a part of the story, but it is not the entire story. And I think for many people, they hear the word holy and they stop right there and they say, well, I don't like God because, you know, because I have, there's rules and regulations. Holiness is not about rules and regulations, folks. And I think that to me is the most surprising part about it because I always had a misconception that holy meant, well, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't, 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 don't. No, holiness is about something that you are. The scripture says to be holy. It's a being, it's who you are. You are to be holy. And there's a state of action that that goes with that. But it's not about who we're not. It's about who we are. So understand God for who he is. Let's look here this morning because what is interesting is that in the scripture, in the first few pages of the Bible, we see the holy God displayed. And then when you come to the very last uh, scripture, you see the holy God displayed. There was a song at the beginning of scripture and a song at the end of scripture that shows us the character of God. Uh, Exodus chapter 15 this was, um, this was known as the Song of Moses. They sang it in praise to their God who let them out of the desert, right? It says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? He says, who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Who, who, who's more majesty? Who is like you in holiness, you are awesome in all of your deeds. And, and he compares, the, the song here is comparing to the gods, little g. In other words, God was so much greater and the people, the children of Israel knew it. They knew that he was not like any other God. All the other countries had gods and you could put them in a drawer. They were idols. Some were made of wood, some were made of metal. They were trinkets. And, and, and so he, he says, who is like you, O God? You are holy, majesty. You're majestic in holiness, awesome in your glorious deeds, 
doing mighty wonders. Then if you go over to Revelation, flip over to the end of the Bible, you're going to the last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. John is now 90 years old, and God has given him a vision of the end. He's given him a vision of what heaven will be like. He, he can now fast forward to see what the end of, after all of human history is done, what's it going to be like in heaven? And look what it's going to be like in heaven. And they sang a song of Moses. That's Exodus 15. They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lord, uh, the song of the Lamb saying, great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord, the God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So we see this word holy, Holy, it's all over the scripture. What does it mean? When you hear holiness, the typical American goes to thinking something that is, um, that is like everything is just, you, you can't get near it and you're going to shake and, 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 oh, you're holier than thou. Have you ever heard that statement? You're holier than thou. So that means you think you're better than me, right? And so when we hear holiness, Christians in general, we start to go, oh, no, he's not going to tell me I can't do something today, right? That's not what holiness is about. Holiness is about this big God, and he is so set apart from anything that you could even imagine. Do you know, if you wanted to make a God, you couldn't even make a God like God. He is so incredible. He is so non-like us. And so he says, for you alone are holy. He is the holy God of the nation. The root word here means to divide, to mark off, to set apart from everything else. It's the opposite of profane. It's the opposite of common. It's the opposite of ordinary. To be holy at the very root is to be different, to be distinct, to be unique from the common, to be different from the ordinary. So in other words, God is nothing like anything you have ever seen. The holiness of God is that which divides him from everyone and everything else in the universe. It is the quality of God that is being different, distinct, unique. There's one of a kind, and there is none like our God. You know, we, you, you say, well, I, I, we, I don't worship idols. I don't have the idol problem that the other nations do. Yeah, we do. We do. Do you know what was happening this morning at 9 o'clock? There's a football game on this morning at 9 o'clock. Did you find that out? Anybody hear about that? Okay, I was listening. I was on the way home uh, from an event yesterday. I heard on the radio that they're starting like all-day football now. So there was 1 o'clock kickoff. Now there's all-day football, right? And so people who love football, you can worship football. I often said, man, you know, if, uh, if they start playing you know, if the Steelers play those morning games, we'll have to have a 3 o'clock service, right? It's just the way it's going to be. This is a Steeler nation, obviously, right? So as, as we go down this path, I want you to check this out. We tend to give our affection to things that are of lesser value. And while you don't worship a football team, it's like, wow, 
We don't go and sing songs to it, but we give of our time, we give of our money, we give all these things, right? And then you go to your career, and your career, some people say, I'm just so busy, I don't have time for church, I don't have time to be with life groups, I don't have time to serve, why? Because my job, my career, and all these things, and it's like, wow, all of a sudden you're, you're missing out because You've got this other idol that you're worshiping and you're, you're paying homage to it and then your family and then you know, j- just everything about our life. And so we have these little gods, small g. That's why in the scripture, it says, he says, there's none like you among the gods. And I want you to think about your life. How big is God? He's holy, he's set apart. How different is he than all your little gods? All the small g gods in your life. How much bigger, how much, how much set apart is he than what you think your career needs, than what you think your family needs, than what you think you need, or whatever it is for fun, whatever it is, and we place all these things and we pay homage to that instead of coming and truly bowing down before God Almighty. And so this is what God's saying. He says he is holy. The word holy means set apart. That's all it means. It means set apart. He has been set apart. He is different. Uh, in John 4, uh, uh, we see John tells us that he is so different that you must worship him in spirit and in truth because God is a spirit. So therefore, if we're coming to God, we must understand who he is and we worship him in spirit and truth. That's how different he is. There's two prongs to this, okay? God is holy in his person. Everything, everything about him is set apart. He is different. And then he is holy in his actions. Holy in his person and holy in his actions. What Holiness is so important to us because if God were not holy, you would not have a God to serve. If God were not holy, you wouldn't want to follow him. Remember the, uh, the Greek mythological gods? right? They would get really bent out of shape. Uh, that You would hear the, the people would talk about the gods are angry. The gods are angry, right? A thunderstorm would roll by. The gods are angry. Yesterday, I had fun. I was at a, a wedding up in up in Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, a couple fam- a family from our church here, the couple got married, uh, uh, Ewing, it's, it's, it's been a long day. I got back late last night, right? Ewing, Rob, and Chelsea got married. And man, I'm standing on the stage up there, and we're just about ready to pronounce them husband and wife. And in the back of this church is this, this big window, and you could see the storm brewing up out there. And all of a sudden, you hear this little bit of thunder, and you see this lightning bolt. Where I'm standing, I'm seeing this lightning bolt. I'm thinking, maybe God is mad, you know? <laughs> Or maybe this is God's explanation point. What is going on here? I'm like, you know, I'm an eerie. This is nuts, right? And you see, that's what that's that's how people lived. They they had this fear, like, oh, you know, they're 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 gods. If you did something, they were displeased, and a thunderstorm would roll by. They would just live in fear. God doesn't. That's not what the fear of the Lord is, folks. The fear of the Lord is to understand that he is almighty. He is all-powerful. He is set apart from you. He is so holy that there is none like him. No other God has this relationship with people. No other God has a relationship with you. He's coming. He cares for you. And his goodness ties together with his holiness. And he says that I'm going to take care of your holiness problem. You have a holiness problem. I have a holiness problem. He says I'm going to take care of that. And he pursues us and sends his son Jesus. 
Holiness is set apart. I like what Tozer says. A.W. Tozer says, We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart. It's unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. In other words, there's something about God that we, just, we cannot figure this out. The natural mind is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. You see, I don't know what it's like to have somebody that always does right. You have a friend that always does right? Always does right? Never said anything bad about you? Never. Ever. Never. There is none like God. Do you understand that? Your closest relationships don't compare to this almighty God who is always perfect and always acts responsibly, always taking care of you. You are the apple of his eye, and he is perfect in all of his ways. We can't comprehend that. There, you know, there's several ways that we learn about his holiness. We learn about his holiness in, in the scripture. You see these encounters. People would have an encounter. And whenever they would have an encounter with God, boom, they're, they're da- laying down. They're, they're down on their face before God. It's like they are undone. Um, and so I want to ask us this morning, when was the last time you had an encounter with God? Not about God, but like you and God truly got together and you had an encounter. And and you like became undone in the presence of an almighty God. Do you know your soul needs to come undone every now and then? Like every day? Because whenever we come undone before a big God, he gives you the strength to go. And instead you're trying to go out there and do it on your own. Uh, Before, uh, this week I I was wrestling with this. Because I know that holiness is like the hardest word in the Bible to us. And so I had to get before an almighty God, and I had to get undone. I had to say, oh, God, you are big, you are powerful, you are mighty, you are not like me, you are perfect, and I am not. God, I, I don't even know how to do this, so God has to get me undone. And that's what God wants us to do when we have an encounter. When Moses encountered God, his countenance changed. It was like they said, whoa, Moses, there's, there's glory coming off your face, the Shekinah glory. And see, when you're meeting with the holy God, you're not going to come out with a bunch of rules. That's not the holy God. The holy God doesn't give you a bunch of rules. He's given you the Shekinah glory. You get a relationship with him. So when you come into his presence, you get undone. You know what you get undone of? You get undone of your pride. You get undone of your self-righteousness. You get undone of all this flesh, and you're saying, whoa, I can't do this, but you can, God, and you are the great God of the universe. So as we start to understand who he is, understand him for his holiness. And so when, when you have an encounter with a holy God, it demands a response. Anybody in Scripture, you you look at them in Scripture, nobody had an encounter with God and said, yep, I met with a big man upstairs. You might have heard a lot of people say that, right? Ah, I'm friends with the big guy. There was never that type of talk about God. Why? Because they had a true encounter with a true God. And when you have a true encounter with a true God, you won't refer refer to him flippantly as the big guy upstairs, right? 
you will understand that he is so powerful and he is so mighty and that he is your most valuable most valuable resource. He loves you. He cares for you. And he says, I, I'm going to do everything to take care of your life. You see the goodness of God, the holiness of God working together? And so as you look here, look in Isaiah chapter 6. This is so powerful. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Now, let me tell you what happened here. King Uzziah, this was their king. He's dead. The nation is in perils. The nation is in turmoil. And Isaiah is coming before the Lord. And God says, let, come here, Isaiah. Let me change your perspective. Let me show you who I am. And when he does, he comes here and the outlook was bleak. And I want, the lesson I want you to catch here is this. When the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. You know, when you're looking out and everything is looking really bad, that's when God wants us to uplook. And we look up to him. And so here's what God did for him. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. The king is gone. He gets to see the real king. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, two to cover his face, two to cover his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. You know, when you hear something three times in a row, that was the, that was, pay attention. Listen, this is extremely important. Holy, he is holy, he is holy, he is set apart, he is so much greater, he is the Lord of hosts, he is the Almighty, and the whole earth is filled of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and when the house was filled, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I will dwell in the midst of people, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. King Uzziah is dead, nation of pearl. He says, I've got so many problems, I don't think I can make it. And God says, let me show you. Here's the King. The king is totally in control. Jesus Christ, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's totally in control. He's never gotten off the throne. And he says, holy, holy, holy is that Lord. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched, with, touched my mouth with it. And behold, this, and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin has been purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Do, do, you, do you see this? Here, here, here's a little pattern that happens whenever you come into the presence of the Lord. You understand his holiness. And when you understand his holiness, you understand that you're not holy. 
You understand and you become undone. He says, woe is me for I am undone. He fell to pieces. And then there's a, there's a cleansing. The, the angel comes and the, uh, the seraphim come and, and puts the coal on his lips and, and it's, it, it's cleansing. And then he says, whom shall I send? Who will go and work for me? In other words, if you come into the presence of a holy God, you can't help but serve him. You cannot help but serve him. And when you understand who he is, his might, his power, you understand that he is set apart in all of his ways. Don't go serve yourself anymore. Don't try and live your life on your own. You come and you say, the cleansing for us is at the cross of Christ. You see, because whenever I come up to Christ, I, I, look, at, I look at this holy God and I say, I can't do this. And God says, I know. That's why I sent Jesus. And Jesus did it. He paid the price. So the message is grace. Even in God's holiness, the message of grace is there. And it's all the way from the book of Isaiah. And you see that, wow, he comes and Isaiah says, send me. I'll be the first to go. I'll be the first to go. So send me out to do the work that you've called me to do. Um, wherever God is, it, that place becomes holy. Moses, he met up with God in a burning bush. Exodus 3, now Moses was keeping his flock and his father-in-law, uh, flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now check this out. It was when he least expected. God shows up when you're least expecting it, folks. He's there. It's his normal routine. But in the middle of your ordinary, in comes the extraordinary. In comes the God who is set apart, who is so different than all of you and, the, and than me. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see the great sight. Why this bush did not get consumed. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, he called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place which you are standing on is holy ground. I want to encourage you to get alone with God. Make a special place. Get alone with God. Maybe it's in your basement. Maybe it's on your porch. Maybe it's in your office. Maybe it's uh, whatever it is. And, and listen, when you get alone with that holy God, that's the place that becomes holy. And you will be, you will, you'll be blown away because all of a sudden you'll say, well, that was just my basement. I went down there. And all of a sudden you're going to go into that holy place. You're going to say, this is where my holy God meets me. And I have this opportunity to talk to this holy God. And it's like, wow, the holy God of the universe cares enough to let you come into his presence. And then you get to meet the holy, holy God. In his commandments, he said, make no graven images. In other words, he's saying, don't reduce me to an idol. Don't make a picture of me. Don't make me down to something that you can put in your drawer and you can put out back. He says, I am so much bigger than all of that. This is the great magnitude of our God. And he told his people, and you go through the Old Testament, you see all the ways that he told his people to live. And you ask yourself, well, why did he tell them how to live? Because they need to know how to live. And so for us today, our, we have a holiness problem. And while, while the church at large is afraid of holiness, I want to encourage you, do not be afraid of holiness because God himself came to this earth and God's holiness can be found in Jesus Christ. 
You need to be holy. He tells us in his word, he says, to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy. So how do you get to be holy? It's through the person of Jesus Christ. Um, holiness is not trying harder. I think many people think if I, you know, if I don't do this and I don't do that, that somehow that I'll become holy. Well, no, it's not about trying harder. It's about knowing him. You see, the person of Jesus. Today, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. I love what Paul said. Paul said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, the same reverence when they took off their shoes, when Moses took off his shoes in front of the burning bush, the very same reverence whenever he took that off, God says, I want you to live like that. Because the Holy Spirit is in your life. The Holy Spirit is in you. So when you're going to work tomorrow and you're ready to tell somebody off, right? When you're really mad, live like the Holy Spirit is in you because he is. Let your life be holy because where God is, he is holy, right? It comes through Jesus Christ. God knew that we could not be holy so he gave it. Now, check this out. Romans 5. When we were utterly helpless. Oh, I love that. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. You weren't seeking him. You had a holiness problem. I had a holiness problem. And at just the right time, Christ comes and dies. So the next verse here, verse 7. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Verse 8, however, God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were unholy, Christ died for you so that you can be holy. Oh, that's pretty powerful. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of uh, of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So do you see the message of grace? Even in the holiness of God, it's just so powerful. First Peter 1 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he, he who called you is holy, also be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy as I am holy. He says to be holy as I am holy. Because he is holy. So I want you to catch this this morning. That holiness, the greatness of God is not found by you trying to live a better life. It's not found by you trying to try harder. I I love this quote from John Piper. John Piper said that the greatness of God's majesty is not magnified in hollow efforts to keep commandments. You know, I know many people that do that all their life. They try to to adhere to a moral code, and all they do, I love what, what John Piper says. He says, every religion does that. That doesn't make God look great. It makes you look moral. And I think many well-meaning Christians have pursued a life of morality instead of life with Jesus. 
They have, they have subscribed to what they do and what they don't do, and they've totally missed that this good God who is holy, who is so far set apart, you can't please him by just being on a good moral code. Let me say this this morning. The Buddhists do it, and so do every other religion under the sun. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus, and it's not about your morality because you can't be good enough. You may think, boy, I'm a really good moral person. Then check your motives every now and then. It's like, wow, you know what? Look at my motives. Nobody can see those. God does. And he says that even in your good morality, you're not good enough. I have to do this. I have to send Jesus. So I want us to be free as believers this morning, as Christ followers. I want you to be free from the trap of morality. Oh, I'm not suggesting you being an immoral person. But I'm suggesting that the win for you is not what I haven't done. That's what most people do. They win by, I haven't done certain things. The win is who you have become, the child of God. Rather, the greatness of God's majesty is exalted when you are satisfied in him more than anything. In closing, I want to I share with you what holiness is. It's set apart, right? So, you know, when you're reading a newspaper, you pull out the newspaper and you find an article. And it's, it's like you want, you want somebody to, to pay attention to it. You know, Jim wants, well, every now and then, he, he will tell me that he read something and it will show up on my desk, right? Um, and so what he does is he doesn't come in and he doesn't take the whole newspaper and say, here, you need to read it, it's on page five. Okay, this is, this is what Jim wants does for me. He opens it up. And, you know, it's typically about, you know, how to grow tomatoes or something like that, you know. You know, if this were me at home, I'd be given, like, you know, the Ann Landers from my wife I'd pulled out for, you know. And, uh, and here's what you do. You take out and you set it apart so that it can be used. This is what holiness is for you and I. God says, I want you to be set apart so that I can use you, and I will do it. Because here's what happens. Otherwise, we just end up over in this pile. And God says, I can't use you like that. I need you to be set apart. And it's not something that you do. It's something that God does. You know, God convicts you of sin, folks. I don't need to preach on sin. I need to preach on Jesus. And God will take care of anything He'll convict you longer than I can, can even talk to you. You're going to go home today, and after you heard something about the holiness of God, something's going to stir in your heart, and you're going to say, there's things that I need to change, there's attitudes that I need to change, and you're going to wrestle, you're going to fight, you're going to struggle with God, and let him just do the terror. And let him make you useful. You see, when you try to do the tearing, it's called self-righteousness. God's not looking for anything self-righteous. He's looking for his righteousness. Now, as I close, I'm going to just share this with you. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, I love it. Go home and memorize this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he made him to be sin who knew no sin. God made Jesus to be sin. He never sinned. So that in him, we might become the righteousness, the holiness, of God.
that's where it is. God said, I'm going to pour all of your sin on Jesus so that you can go out and live a whole bunch of rules all the rest of your life. No. So that you will be righteous. You're declared righteous in his presence. As you keep growing, God's going to keep tearing. There's things today that in five years from now you'll say, oh man, I can't believe I was so bullheaded about that. And you're going to be humbled and God's going to work and you're going to be more like Christ. That's what he's doing in my life. That's what he's going to do in your life. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed today, I want to invite you to Jesus. Holiness is an attitude of the heart in, in which you look to God and you say, God, use me. It's not about doing a moral code. It's about coming to God. It's about understanding that he's holy and I'm not. So this morning I invite you to this holy God because he is good. He is just. He is merciful. He is slow to anger, folks. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I'm going to ask you, I want to invite you to Jesus. If you're in this place and you say, Pastor Ken, I've never opened my heart to Jesus. I know that I am not holy. I have sinned. I have all the sin to deal with. I want to invite you to him. Because he says that's the beginning of a relationship. So if you would just do this this morning, if that's you, you say, Pastor Ken, I'm, I'm opening my heart to Jesus. I want to do that right now. Would you just pray this with me? Just repeat this quietly after me to God. Just pray to him something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things. I'm unholy. But you died on the cross. You were holy. And you paid for my sin. It's the greatest exchange. You came back to life. You were resurrected. So God, I give you my sin today. And I thank you for making me holy. For making me righteous in your eyes. Father, be with each person who just opened their hearts to you. Be with each person in our church, Lord, as Christ followers. Lord, help us not to be tripped up in following morality. God, take us to you you that we will get something so much deeper than morality that we'll get in touch with a holy God and we could be like Isaiah and say oh I am undone Lord take our church and make us undone people Lord take us home today may we get alone and get in in private with you and may you make us undone in the presence of an almighty God and we'll watch you put us back together And we'll shine with your glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen.